I love it when she gets all twangy. The reason we got married is because she speaks banjo fluently. Uh, so just, just a reminder that we go to two services on February 7th. February 7th, okay? And uh, there will be a 9 o'clock and a 10.30. And so we would love it if we could kind of, because uh, we're going to lose this whole section over here, I believe, for Kids Church. And so we'd love it if we could kind of evenly uh, multiply that service. But So just keep that in mind. Kids ministries will be at the 1030. So if you have kids, that will pick the service for you. But anyway, hopefully uh, the, it won't be that difficult of a decision. So we are in our series, House of Worship, today. Last Sunday we talked about uh, how, that our, how that worship was declaring Jesus as Lord over a specific moment and situation. And how that we as individuals have this, uh, you know, this calling, this mission to be that and to do that in our world. That that's what we're here to do. And, and so what I'm hoping that we do through this series is that we'll begin to look at our own lives, our own homes, our own sphere of influence and see that we're supposed to be a beacon in that in that very much smaller way. And we're preparing for uh, whatever the future may bring. We feel like this is going to help us prepare for that kind of thinking. So we have a, a long way to go. These are initial thoughts. So last week we talked about worship, and today we're going to be talking about community. And I'm about to ask you a question, and I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. I'm going to tell a story. So I, I would like one or two people after, to, to just briefly, the question I'm going to ask is, have you ever accomplished something that you're that you're very glad that you did with another group of people. You ever worked with a team and accomplished something? And uh, while you're chewing on that, I'm going to tell you uh, one of my favorite stories. So back in 1994, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, kids, I rode a Tyrannosaurus Rex to work. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, that would be cool, though, but I'm not that cool. But anyway, in 1994, myself and three other friends were were in a prayer meeting. And out of that prayer meeting which was, uh, I think it was Tuesday nights, we would pray, and we'd, we'd pray very late. And out of that, we've, one of the guys in our group was from a, a little town in Mexico called El Tule, and, uh, which is a small town of about 1,000 people way, way in the middle of Mexico in the uh, Chihuahua area. I don't know what they call them in Mexico, states, provinces, I don't know, but anyway, in the, that area. So he wanted to take the story of Jesus to his town. So we being dumb and American, thinking we could just do anything we wanted, uh, did. <laughs> we just loaded up, got a bunch of Bibles, got a bunch of toys to give away, took as much money as we could get together, bought plane tickets to El Paso, Texas, rented a car, uh, a, an old Chevy Lumina van, if you remember those. Uh, anyway, remember the van, we're coming back to it. We rented that van in El Paso, and we drove oh, 10 to 14 hours down into Mexico and to our friend's uh, <clears throat> town, we shared the gospel for about five days straight. We saw over 300 people come to Jesus Christ. We ate the best food I've ever eaten in my life, and I'm from the South, so that's really saying something. And, uh, well, I thought that was funny. I guess you didn't, so. Anyway, and, and uh, <clears throat> saw all these people come to Christ, saw blessed children with toys, saw poverty like we'd never seen before, met a witch. It was a great, great trip. Um, all started out of prayer, and it changed my life. It that is the moment that made me a missionary. That I stopped, that I transitioned, that I began the transition from being a preacher to being a missionary. 
I bet I could do this around the room all day, but I'm going to go ahead and jump into our text, and I want to show you something. Um, actually, Michael kind of introed this text for me just a few weeks ago, so uh, that's really good, because I'm going to take what he did, and we're going to build on that. And I'm going to show you a community straight out of the Bible. You ready? What, this is what, you ever want to know what community looks like? This is what it looks like. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting net nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. So Jesus was used to these guys showing up. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, and they tried to take him inside to Jesus. But they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, the NLT translates this phrase, young man. NIV, New American Standard, several other translations use the word friend. Remember I said that, we'll come back to it. Friend, your sins are forgiven. For the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, but the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, went home praising God. Everyone was... uh, Everyone was gripped with a great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. What a text. What a story. We've read it in church many times, and and we do that on purpose. We want to recover these stories often so that we can remember them. And in this story, I, I don't want to focus on the miracle part of it. I want to focus on the friendship part of it, the community part of it, the reality that Here's a guy, one, that Jesus looks at, and in, and in the Greek, the translation we have, he calls this guy friend. That's his first address to this young man, his friend. And you know how many times that happened in the New Testament? This is the only time. This is the only time that, God, that Jesus looked at anyone and addressed them as friend. So I want you to think about what that means for a minute. Because Jesus was clued in. Don't you think Jesus kind of had an understanding of how things work? So as we set up this story and begin to talk about community, what I want you to get from this story is that here's a guy who's lame. If you're lame in first century, your job opportunities are extremely limited. You can't even telemarket in the first century. Hello, I'm John. Would you like some car insurance or whatever? Your extended warranty. That's the one I meant to go for. I've been meaning to talk to you about your extended warranty. Um, sorry. Let me hang up my phone right now just before I get that call again from Casper for some reason. But anyway. So your job opportunities are limited. Your life is going to be destitute. Not just poverty. You're going to be begging. Okay? So here's a guy who has, he's lame. He's being carried in on a mat. He can't, apparently can't even drag himself around. So I, what I want you to see about this guy is, one, here's a guy who has nothing to offer. And he has friends. Yes. Yes. 
He has four friends. I'm assuming they're four friends because there are four corners to a cot to carry. He has at least four friends willing to carry him into a chaotic situation, a situation that might be hopeful, but come on. How would that phone call go? That text, the group text to four friends. Hey, I want to go see Jesus on Friday. I want to go see Jesus, and uh, would you guys carry me? <laughs> That's worse than asking someone to help you move, right? <laughs> it's kind of an inside joke, sorry. <laughs> what kind of guy who has nothing to offer is able to have Four good friends. And he is such a good friend himself that when Jesus looks at him, the first thing that comes to Jesus' mind is here's a friend. See, there's a proverb that says that a man who has friends must show himself friendly. Here's a guy who had nothing to offer, but somehow, some way, he knew how to be a friend. You start tapping into the idea of community. And one of the epiphanies the Lord gave me many years ago was that discipleship begins with friendship. And and you start looking at this, and we start thinking about what it means to be community. Because we talk about, churches have been talking about community for at least 20 years. This has been a subject of discussion in the circles that I'm in, how to be a community. And today we're going to tackle some of that. And and, and actually, when we get to the end, we're going to make this so easy that it's simple how this works, how this happens. But as we talk about community, I want you to understand that in order for the gospel to make it to the next generation, in order for Jesus Christ to be declared Lord in your neighborhood, you've got to have a community around you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Amen? Amen. And he put you in the church because you need help. Does that make sense? You need help. I know you're like, no, I don't need help. I got this. I know that we can tell that you've got this. I also want to point out that when the four friends brought their friend and the cot to Jesus, there was a crowd in the way. And I'd like to just address this simple thing. In our world today, we love crowds. We love big churches. We love big events because we can go to those and we can hide in those. We don't ever have to reveal who we are. We don't have to be vulnerable. We can go to church and never really get involved enough to be the church. Does that make sense? And so this is important as we we move into this idea of community. We want to move into the thoughts of friendship, what friendship looks like. We also want to realize that community isn't just talk. It isn't just a sermon. It's action. It's for friends sacrificing something to get another friend to Jesus. Does that make sense? So this is the basis for community. So let's jump into uh, what this is all built on. So I'm going to cover a few things. The first thing I want to point out is this need that we have. Everyone in this room, and you can act like you don't, you can look spiritual. I mean, that's good. I do that too when I sit on that side. When Michael preaches, I try and look as heavenly as possible, right, Michael? Not really. Sometimes I'm going, "Mm," trying to make him lose his notes. It's my fault. Steve is too. Steve's doing it too. I'm just saying. That's, mass has actually kind of helped us out. And never mind, I don't want to lose my way. We all have a need to belong. We need to belong. I mean, it's, it's why we, we marry. It's why we have a family. We, we just need a place that's our place. 
And it's funny to me how the language has changed over the years and the decades. You know, back at one point, people go around, where are my crew at? But I'm not cool enough to say that cool. But, you know, they would say that, you know. Where are my people? Anyway, we'd have these, my BFF, these ideas of our people and a place that we belong. And so we need, we need, we need intimacy. We need to be known and we, we need to know people. And it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. This is a need that God created human beings to have, a place to belong. However, in the midst of that need to belong is also this incredible desire to hide. We have a need to belong and an aversion to actually belonging to anything. No wonder we're so conflicted. We're all nuts. But I'm not wrong. I mean, we're just like, man, I, I, I need vulnerability. I am so terrified of being vulnerable. I need close friends. I don't need the baggage of close friends. Right? Because every... Have you ever noticed that every friend you have is another person you have to help move? <laughs> Sorry, the moving joke I'm going to let go of one day, but... <laughs> I'm going to call it the fig leaf conundrum because it started in Genesis 3. God created Adam and Eve for relationship with God and each other, which is what it's, it's all based on, this vertical and horizontal relationship every human being desperately needs. But when sin came in the picture, it wrecked it both ways. It wrecked the relationship with God and it wrecked the relationship between Adam and Eve and their relationship with creation. When they rebel, God comes to the garden and now Adam and Eve are hiding from the one person all of eternity they desperately need a relationship with. They're hiding from that. And they're also isolating themselves from each other. Because of shame, because of guilt, those kinds of things. So that's why Jesus came. He came on the cross to deal with the shame and the guilt. And then he instituted the church. When he said to Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. And so in, in that moment, he's instituting this vertical that he's going to do on the cross. This horizontal that he's going to do with the the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly, which we'll get into what that means a little bit next week. The Bible says this in Hebrews 10, and I, I read this verse a lot because I, it's so important that we embrace the concept of community. In Hebrews 10, verse 23, the writer of Hebrews writes, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let's not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So I just want to, I want to build this on this, this need that we all have for belonging. But I also want to be honest and say that we also have an aversion to actually belonging somewhere. So we are conflicted, and this is why it's so hard to have community. But we can get through that. There's a way through it. If a guy who has nothing to offer can have four friends wade through the crowd to get him to Jesus, we can also have people in our lives that can bring us closer to Jesus. Okay? So if our, our need is to belong. How we're going to overcome that aversion 
is through our strength, which looks like a weakness. Our strength that looks like a weakness. You see, the idea of community is wonderful. I'll never forget that feeling I I got the first time I really read Acts chapter 2, verses 46 to the end of the chapter, 44 to the end of the chapter. And I saw those first believers coming into a life of community together, sharing their possessions with each other and and, and listening to the disciples' teaching and praying and the devotion. And I read that and I'm like, man, that's what church should be. But getting there, getting to that community, we, it takes something, to, a practice, something practical to get there. And that practical thing is the word love. But in our world today, love has been misdefined, redefined, misdefined. And in the ancient world, Love was totally dismissed. In fact, when you start talking about character traits, that wasn't a a popular thing to discuss. In the Greek world, love wasn't even a a positive thing. It was considered weak and effeminate. Because in the Greek thought, which is the world that most of the New Testament was written in, the chief virtues were wisdom, courage, temperance, or self-control, and justice. They were considered muscular, judicial, uh, strong, and love was considered weak, effeminate, uh, irrational. And love is somewhat irrational, I guess. But Jesus said, John 13, 34, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. He's adding to the commandments that God's given, okay? Or he's emphasizing what they meant, maybe. I'm giving you a new commandment. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see, Paul's going to take this teaching of Jesus and his encounter with Jesus, and he's going to come out of that with a, a he's going to reevaluate and reframe character traits that are important to being a Christian. And he's going to move from the idea of courage and wisdom to the idea of faith, hope, and love in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. What I'm trying to point out is this. Love is the foundation of community. But love, love isn't that romantic thing you see in the rom-coms. It isn't that squishy feeling you get when you're around a squishy person that you like. You're just like, that sounded weird. I know, I was just trying to get your attention. Love is a lot more than that. And, And Jesus really actually made it clear. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to love others in the way that I loved you. How did Jesus love you? <clears throat> he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus showed us, demonstrated to us, that love is sacrifice. Love is suffering, as any married person in the room can say, right? (laughs) It was a joke. Don't get grumpy. Love is at least a willingness to suffer for others. And I want you to think about the power of this. What if you had a community around you of 2, 3, 4, 10, 15 friends that were willing to suffer for you? Can you see the difference that would make in your life? Can you think of what kind of difference that would make in the world? 
I mean, love is awesome. And love is a big thing, right? Love's big. I mean, but isn't love also like really small? And what I mean by that is when Jesus was on earth, he loved us in a big way. He went to the cross. But on his way to the cross, he loved us in like a thousand little ways. Because he would stop and Jesus like listened to people. Have you ever noticed that? You read the stories of the gospel. Jesus was asking people questions. Sometimes he would let people vent. But Jesus, for Jesus, the small act of listening, which was a small act of love, led up to a huge act of love in the sacrifice. We talk about love, and it is a big thing. But the truth is, we experience love in the thousands of little things. The kind words, the patient moments, the clear articulation of what's going on, all these kinds of things. Love is expressed in the small ways before it gets to those big ways. And so you think of that in a community of people, and you begin to imagine a community of people who are willing to suffer for each other, willing to forgive each other, willing to lay down their lives for each other. And you move into a new place because the reason we don't have that community is because we've tried and we got hurt. And people let us down. And they may have even betrayed us. And we have a hard place, hard time going back to that vulnerability that's needed to actually have real friends and real relationships. So we need to belong. The the path to belonging and into community is a path of real love, which means sacrifice and laying down and and real discussions. Have you ever, I'm going to take a tangent right here. Have you ever stopped to think about how many fake talks you have in life? How many times you you just talk about nothing? And, and I'm not saying there's, I mean, yeah, we, we have to talk about nothing to actually get to talking about something. I get that. My wife and I, when we were in Colorado, we lived there for almost four years, and we, our date night was a trip from Otis, Colorado, which is, you go to the end of the world, jump off, and Otis is at the bottom. And, and so it was a 40-mile drive to Sterling, Colorado that had a Walmart, and that was our date night. And you're like, man, you guys are really romantic. I'm telling you, man, 33 years of this, man, she can't leave. <laughs> we would sit in that car for that 40-mile drive, which, you know, probably took, the way I drive probably took 30 minutes, but, you know, probably took, should have taken 40. And first, we would just sit there and decompress because we had just escaped our five children who were at home, six at one, you know, and then seventh later. And we're just like... <sighs> And then we would start to talk about nothing. How was your week? How are the kids? How's the job? How you... And then nothing would turn into something. I'm really worried about our oldest. I, I, I'm concerned about our finances. And on it would go, and it would move into from nothing to something. And, and that 40-minute drive just became our decompress and, and helped us get through one of the most challenging times of our life. We had just left everything we'd known to come out west. And if you have ever left the south to come to the west, it's a culture shock. If you don't know, now you do. So what if you had a community that loved each other enough? And what if you had people close, you, close enough to you that loved you enough to get through the talking about nothing till 
we actually started talking about something. Our strength is our weakness. Third, our witness is our relationship. I've been, uh, I, I grew up a, a Baptist. I was ordained a Southern Baptist. Now I'm a Baptocostal. <clears throat> I, I have shared the gospel in every way I could think of. We've, we've done dramas, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Remember that back in Crowsville? That was a crazy time. Um, we've, we've done evangelistic meetings. We've done kids' crusades. We've done outside tents. We've preached the gospel door to door, house to house, over coffee, proclaimed the gospel. That's what I believe we're called to do. I believe it's every Christian's duty. I've done it so many ways. And Jesus says this in John 13, 35, which we already read, but I just want to focus this last phrase. He talks about the new commandment of loving each other. And then he says to us in John 13, 35, gathered with his disciples, the same table they're going to have communion at Last Supper at, just a little bit. He says to these guys, he says, your love for one another, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What's he saying? He's saying that the believer's love and connection to each other is a powerful witness of His grace and goodness. How we relate to each other is key and critical and even foundational to our witness to the world. I mean, seriously, think about it. Have, have you ever just stopped and looked at your faith and said, would anybody outside of me looking at my Christian walk want what I have? I mean, it's a sobering question. Would anyone want the friendships I have inside of faith? Are those compelling in any way? Because Jesus said they would be. Jesus said that my disciples are going to love each other so much, it's going to prove to the world. It's going to prove to the world that we are his disciples. So think about that for a second. A community that's so committed to each other, that loves each other so well, that it is evident to those outside the community that there's something different there, that someone else is in charge of that, that that community has a different purpose than just self-advancement. And so if we're going to talk about uh, community and, and so forth, we need to realize that how we relate to each other is a witness. It is a witness. The question is, is it a, a witness for Christ or, for, or against Him, I guess? I mean, seriously, we've been saved by the blood of Jesus, man. We're forgiven. We are sons and daughters now. And Jesus calls us into his church. That's what ecclesia means. Called out for a purpose. I'll throw that in. I'll, I'll delve into that next week. We're all of that. And we can't get along with each other. Forgiven, loved, overcome by grace, and don't trust each other. See? That's not okay, is it? That can be fixed. In the same way your lostness was fixed. In the same way fear is fixed. In the same way failure is fixed. The same gospel that overcomes sinfulness and lostness is the same gospel that heals and mends relationships. Jesus. And trusting Him and His ability to forgive us and His ability to forgive through us. So you find a group of people who Jesus is so much Lord over them, like we talked about last week, 
that He's Lord over their relationships, and they submit their own emotions, their own anger, their own hurt to the Lordship of Jesus. And they move into a place where they confront things, and they're honest about things, and they're open about things, and they are able to forgive each other for things. See, I'm not a fan of pseudo-community. Not a fan. What I mean is, I don't like it when Christians fake it. If you've got to fake it, there's a problem. I don't like wannabes, all right? And what I mean is, Christians should be able to have honest conversations with each other about their hurts, their woundings, and their failures. And then they should be able to have grace toward each other and forgive each other. Does that make sense? And so, this very practical, actually, even though it takes supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to get there. So, our witness is relational. I want to put this in a context where it, it really, you can see the power of this. Pre-COVID-19, loneliness in America was already a problem. Studies done late, of 2019, late 2019 were showing that 50% of America in various surveys that were taken were experiencing loneliness on a regular basis. 20% of those people had no one, zero persons they could confide something in. No one they could talk to about uh, something that they were worried about. BYU did a study in, in 19 that uh, they investigated what isolation does to people, and they found out that in the, the groups that they studied, uh, psychological, and it was published in a journal, that mortality rate risk increases by 32% in people who are isolated. By the way, that number of 50% of people in 2019 who are experiencing um, loneliness in this year, recent studies have shown that the number is up to 80%. Eight out of ten people are dealing with some kind of severe loneliness. And here's Jesus saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to save you and I'm going to take care of your eternal problem. And then I'm going to put you in the church, the called out assembly. I'm going to put you with others. And your job is to love your father and to love each other and to love them so well that people know you follow me because of the way you love your people. Do you see how just being the church and just being a community that sacrifices to each other could be an incredible witness to the most lonely world that has ever been? Do you understand that? How many people are hiding in their living rooms this morning? Lonely. And Jesus' answer is the best answer that's ever been. Save them and put them with a family. Does that make sense? All right, a family that fights and argues and works it out, but that's a different thing. What a bright light that could be. So, great, huh? This sounds good. I know, I know, this is the, the, that was the, the fun part, the, the, the research, the stats part. Now the practical part. <laughs> because I have been... In that awkward small group, I actually went to that church <laughs> that was all about community. You know, you ever been to that group? Your, your first time there, and it might have been here even because Michael and, and, my, and I are huggers. And you walk into your first Sunday here, and here we come. Hey, come on, bring it in, Bubba, bring it in. That is awkward. <laughs> we know, but we still do it. <laughs> Because we like awkward. But anyway, you cannot 
just set out. You can't leave here today going, hey, man, I'm going to find a community. I'm going to start one out of my home. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to do something. You cannot become a community trying to become a community. It's so weird. It's so weird. You can't. I know. It just gets weirder. Read the Gospels and how Jesus, Jesus founded the greatest, most impactful community ever in those 12 disciples, okay? But you never see an interaction among them that was Jesus building community. You never see um, Jesus like, okay, Peter, James, bring it in. Okay, now hug. Act like you like each other. You don't see that. You don't even, you hear Jesus teach on forgiveness, but you never see a, a one-on-group discussion where he's helping the disciples role-play forgiveness or anything like that. You see what I'm saying? What did Jesus do to build the greatest community that's ever impacted the earth? He sent them on mission. He said, okay, guys, don't pack. Don't carry anything. You don't need lunch. You just head that way. Tell them I'm coming. And by the way, you have the power to cast out demons and heal bodies. So do that. And so these guys, first it was 12, then it was 70. And they went, and they went on mission. And they walked with Jesus, and they talked about nothing. Did you know Jesus talked about nothing? They talked about nothing, and then they talked about something. And they would break down Jesus saying, hey guys, I want you to feed them. And like, we only have one piece of bologna between all of us. And like, do it anyway. And, and so they did, and then they broke it down. Do you know what I just showed you? Do you understand what's happening here? And so Jesus sent them on mission And in going on mission together, they became friends. And if you look at the political makeup and the social makeup of the 12 disciples, the fact that they were friends is a miracle all in its own right. They were from every part of the political and economic uh, expression. My point is this. Jesus' idea and way to build community was to send people on mission. So we're going to talk about mission next week. But if you really want to have close friends, find some friends you can do something with that matters. That matters. Not just improve your golf game or have fun, but something that helps someone else. My friends back in Missouri that we loaded up and went to Mexico, the trip was awesome. We fought a great deal going there and coming back. We argued... One of, the, one of my friends was a guy named Don Moss. I've lost track with him over the years. But Don used to drive me crazy because Don was very articulate and it took him a long time to articulate. And if you know me, I have zero patience. And that, that was me almost 30 years ago. I had way less patience back then. And Don would drive me crazy and I'd drive him crazy because I'd finish his sentences. <clears throat> Always with what I wanted him to say. And... Uh, <laughs> It was kind of like a marriage, but anyway. So um, the point is, through that week, through all the relational challenges that we had and the missional challenges we had, we grew together as friends. We prayed for each other as friends. Over the years, that group went through some divorces, some losses of relationships, health issues, and we were just friends. You see? The mission built the community. Next week we're going to talk about what the commu- what the mission can look like and what Jesus has for us. But let me just wrap up with this right here and I'll I'll, I'll take us into a landing hopefully. It's only 10 till 10. It's always 10 till 10. Uh, Luke <laughs> the clock's dead. Luke 10:17. Jesus says, 
um, or this is after one of those mission trips. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to the Lord, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Verse 18 of Luke 10. Listen to this. Jesus says, yes. He told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Very interesting passage. It's possible that he was talking about something he saw in eternity in his prayer time or from the Father, but that doesn't actually fit the context. The context is that the disciples are testifying about what God had done through them on their mission trip as they are becoming this community. And Jesus' answer to that is, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. What's he saying? Uh, This is what I believe Jesus is saying. Every time a Christian group, uh, every time we go out and we save lives, change lives, heal lives, destroy the works of the enemy, as John articulated in 1 John 3. When we do that, Satan falls. And you need to understand that every life that's changed for God and brought to light is another another notch out of, another piece of the puzzle out of Satan that brings his ultimate end. That's why this matters. That's why it matters that we be a community together and that we make a difference. Because every time you step out and make a difference, whether that's sharing the gospel, which I think is the the most important thing that needs to be done, but also it could be feeding people. It could be making sure that the single moms that are in your neighborhood or that you're connected with through school or through your kids' school, making sure that they have the support they need. Whatever you need to do to declare Jesus as Lord in your sphere, whatever it is, every time you do it, You bring the devil down, to use a Keith Green song. You end his darkness and you bring light. That's why this is important. Because communities of faith that build in each other are what make this possible. So I say, Lord, let it be awkward. Let us get past our fear of vulnerability, our fear of each other. Let's, Let's get hurt and heal. Let's... Let's get betrayed and forgive. Let's move forward with others. Does that make sense? Are you with me? My invitation is this. I really am begging you to chew on this message. That's it. I I don't need you to to get up. I don't need you to go anywhere. If you want to pray, Michael and I are around. Steve's around after he's done with the worship team. We can pray with you. But I really want you to not just let this become a sermon you heard that you forget after lunch. We need to think about community and what that means for us individually. Father, thank you for this chance to talk about something that I know is dear to your heart. And to talk about something that I personally really struggle with. Father, just being known and knowing others is so hard. But Lord, I also know that we need each other. And and as as we go forward into whatever the future holds, we're all going to face challenges, and we may face challenges even larger than previous years have confronted us with. We're going to need to be loved and to love others. I pray that you make us that community. I pray that you would make communities of communities within this body that keep us strong and keep us on mission. And Lord, that end the works of the enemy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand.